Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, of thy Remain standing for just a little bit. I know you've been standing a lot today, and um, I don't know if you were listening very well to those readings, but man, there's some incredible, powerful stuff in those stories of God's faithfulness there in 2 Kings 4 and in Philippians chapter 2. My sermon today is called Day and Night Cries to the Savior, and it comes from Psalm 88. It is my intention to preach the entire psalm. But I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 7. And after that, we'll pray and you can be seated. Day and night cries to the Savior. Psalm 88, beginning in verse 1. O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee and incline thine ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles. And my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit, and I am as a man that hath no strength. Free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more, and they are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps, and thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Let us pray. Lord, we look to your word, for your word, Lord, brings us light. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. And this psalm is written from a very dark place, a very dark place that none of us want to go, we don't want to look at, we don't want to remember or think of, but it is where your word has brought us today and we preach through your word and we go verse by verse through it no matter how difficult it is lord your words sometimes are bitter for us but they are good for us as the showbread was in the tabernacle and the temple lord bitter to the taste but satisfying to the soul lord feed us today from your word change us and make us like unto you in christ's name we pray amen you may be seated. The very good news of the resurrection is very good news indeed. Amen? Amen? Right? The news that although we live in a sin-sick world filled with violence, disease, and corruption, 
hate and brokenness. There will come a day when all that, these things will pass away and all will become new. We will, and I am certain of it more today than I ever have been, one day stand before our Savior, hands lifted high and wide in praise and adoration when we see what His amazing hands have been working in the world. He will wipe away the centuries and millennia even of tears that ran hot down the faces of us who like tender grass faded in the hot sun of this life, often folding under the burden of our own miseries. There will be no more misery there in heaven. There will be no more disappointment there. No fading of the glory that we see on the faces of our friends. Friends who will themselves never falter in their love for him and for us. This is going to be a wonderful day. And as long as this short life seems to us, it will seem <clears throat> and it seems to God to be a vapor. A vapor in which we were proved and tried and prepared for the glories and the goodness of God's heaven. As the country singer George Jones once wailed and wondered, but now hopefully knows firsthand how beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and free. A haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. I don't know if you've ever heard that song or if George Jones is your type of a singer, but he could really, really sing it, and he could sing it sad. How beautiful heaven must be, sweet land of the happy and free, a haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. You see, before us to deeply long for that rest, we too must find ourselves weary of the world and all that it offers us. We can love the world and the things in it too much and forget that we are strangers here. We can find ourselves holding too tightly to what will one day not even be retained in our memories. Today we are reminded of heaven and resurrection in Psalm 88. And we are reminded of it in a way that we might not like, we might not enjoy, we may not appreciate. We would kind of like it to be We'd like to see pictures of clouds and maybe even naked little, you know, angels with little bows. Or we'd like to think about the happiness that's going to be there without having to be reminded of the way that we get there. We're reminded of heaven and resurrection because before we make it to the celestial city and we make that our permanent home, we must pass through this life and we must pass through death. No one, not even Jesus himself, wanted to face the road to death. But as we know, there was no other way. Remember how in the Garden of Gethsemane, how he prayed for hours asking if there was another way. He said, Father, if there is some other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Remember how he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood as he agonized in this painful passage that was laid out before him. We know that this passage of death is the only way to resurrection life. Jesus led the way down and he leads us to in this way. The Amplified Bible tells us from Philippians chapter 2 that we are to have the same attitude in ourselves which was in Christ Jesus. We're to look to him as our example of selfless humility who, although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, 
possessing the fullness of the divine attributes, the entire nature of his deity. He did not regard even equality with God to be grasped or asserted, but he emptied himself by assuming the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. He became completely human, but was without sin, being fully God and fully man. And he was, as he was found in terms of his outward appearance as a man for a divinely appointed time, he humbled himself. Still further, he became obedient to the Father to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It wasn't just that he died, it was that he died after being mocked and being scourged and being rejected and being uh, abandoned by his friends and those who were closest to him for this reason because he obeyed completely and he humbled himself God ex highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name because we know that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and those of heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess openly that Jesus Christ is Lord but before that could happen he had to submit himself to death not only death, but the death of a malefactor, of a criminal, of the accused, when he indeed was completely innocent of all wrong. Psalm 88, as we come to Psalm 88, the inspired heading tells us that this is a song. It is a psalm of the sons of Korah. It is written to the choir master according to Malaf Leonuf, a maskil of Heman the Ezraite. Now, the psalm is a song, yet remarkably a very, very sad song. Sometimes we need to hear sad songs. We may not like to hear them, but sometimes we need to hear sad songs. It is often regarded, in fact, as the saddest of all of the songs. Think about how big the Bible is. Think about all of the stories that are there. Think about all of the words that are said in Psalm 88, where we are today in God's Word, is the saddest psalm that there is. And if you wonder if it is or not, just start reading it from beginning to end. It starts sad, it gets sadder in the middle, and it ends sad. There is no happiness hardly at all to be found in Psalm 88. It is played on a musical instrument, which we don't know what it was, or to a tune that we don't know. That's what this Mahalaf Leonuf uh, signifies. But it tells us it is a contemplation. You know, the Bible tells us that there's much more to be learned in the house of mourning than there is in the house of myrrh, right? That, that fools want to, to go to the tables of feasting and happiness and laughter and think that they're going to find wisdom. But wisdom is found in the broken hearts of people who find themselves not loving what's in the world anymore because they have lost what they think is all that there is. Now, according to um, this heading, it gives an author of the psalm, and this is the only psalm that this man wrote. His name was Heman. I don't know how you say it, but it's H-E-M-A-N, so we might even say He-Man. He-Man the Ezraite. Now, there are many mentions of this man, so it's not as though his name is mentioned in the inspired heading here, and we don't know who he was. His name is mentioned, and everybody knew who he was. He was a man who was a part of the sons of Korah, that group of people that survived when God opened up the earth, those that rebelled against 
the authority that God had put there with Moses, God opened up the earth and swallowed those that complained against and rebelled against the authority that God had given them. But he allowed some of them to live, and Heman the Ezraite was one of them. He lived during the time of David and Solomon, and he is mentioned in 1 Kings, he's mentioned in 1 Chronicles. Uh, many times there are uh, over a dozen references to this man. He is known in 1 Kings 4.31 for his great wisdom. Everybody say, Heman was wise. They also know that he was one of the sons of Korah. It tells us that in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 33, and his musical ability and his service is mentioned in 1 Chronicles 6, 33, 1 Chronicles 15, 17 through 19, in chapter 16, verse 41 through 42, in chapter 25, and in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and 35. He was a well-known, skilled, wise, important person. He served the king and was known for his faithful service to the king, 1 Chronicles chapter 25 in verse 6. The identity of the singer of this dark song helps us to understand that it came from a wise, talented, accomplished, and blessed man. At another place, it tells us that he was a man who had exceptional sons and daughters. So he was a man of good reputation. He was a man who ruled his house well and his children honored, and honored him. So why was he so sad? Why was he pouring out his complaints to the Lord? Why would anyone be so sad that loved the Lord? Heman, Heman the Ezraite was all of this, and yet he too suffered as all men do. You know, we never, none of us escape this, right? We don't know that tomorrow we might be in the house of mourning for someone that we love. Many times if you live life you know, the Bible tells us that with the increase of knowledge, increases sorrow. As we gather week to week, and I see all of the children here, uh, and I see the, those adults that are here, as I get older and older, I realize that there will be a day when one of us won't be here. When one of us will be in a coffin in the front of this building, and we will be mourning the loss of that. And as you get older, more and more of your friends pass the way of death. Do they not? They do. If you're young, you might go, I don't know hardly anyone that died, but uh, Sister Jackie, Brother Jim, you guys probably know a lot of people that you once knew, that you once talked to who are not here anymore, right? Brothers and sisters, moms and dads, people that you went to church with, people that you knew, they're gone. In Heman's case, he may have suffered his greatest trial late in his life. He may have been afflicted with some disease, maybe even leprosies. Charles Spurgeon said of Psalm 88 this, he said, in the Psalm, Heman makes a map for his life's history. The Bible tells us that man's life is uh, not very long and it's full of trouble. That's what it says. It says that it's difficult and that it's hard. And anyone who's lived enough life knows that it's true. They know that in a moment of time, everything that you think is going one way can turn and go the next. Every One day everyone can be joyous and can be happy and the next you're sitting in your tears mourning the loss of someone who died in a car accident, who died of drowning, who died 
uh, in a difficult way that should have lived to be longer in our minds. We think it's so. Spurgeon said that he makes a map of his life history. He puts down the dark places in which he's traveled. He mentions his sins. He mentions his sorrows. He mentions his hope. And Spurgeon said, if he had any, his fears, his woes, and so on. But here's what Spurgeon said. He said, now that is real prayer. That's real prayer. Laying your case before the Lord. Have you ever really prayed like that? Have you ever laid out your miseries and woes and your difficulties and your suffering and your lamentations to God? Have you poured out your heart before the Lord like this? And if not, maybe we all can start doing so today. You know, God wants all of our heart. He wants the good, the bad, and the ugly, the dark, the forlorn, the downcast, and the desperate, as well as the faith-filled and the thankful. He wants it all. And God is inviting all of us today to give all of our heart to Him. The Bible calls us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our soul. And our heart has been through, Brother Michael, a lot of hard and difficult things, has it not? We've suffered and we have been uh, found ourselves desperate and not knowing which way to go many times in our life. But have we called on the Lord? And I would tell you today that if you bring these things to the Lord, He will not despise this. David tells us that the sacrifices of God in Psalm 51 are a broken and a contrite heart. Do you have a broken heart to offer God today? One that has had enough of what this world offers you and clings only to the hope of heaven and to the hope of a God who will not leave you or forsake you. One who, like Paul, knows that if there were any hope only in this life, we would have be of all men most miserable. As we find ourselves in verse 1 of Psalm 88, Heman cries out and says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before Thee. You know, we live in a movie world. We live in a world of television drama. Oftentimes we will see uh, drama come to pass in a 30-minute or a 45-minute segment where someone uh, is doing well, something rough happens in their life, and by the end of it, it's all resolved. Maybe if you're more committed and you like the feature-length movies that are two and three hours long, you suffer with the agony of, the, pro, of, uh, of the, the protagonist or of the good guy, and you're rooting for him. You're wanting him to be, you're wanting things to change. You're wanting him to save the world, or you're wanting him to, to solve the crime, the, the bad thing that's going on in his life. You're wanting this to happen. But, but you know, life doesn't happen at the speed of television. And life doesn't happen at the speed of movies. And, oh yeah, we can binge watch show after show after show and get that feeling of, oh look, it's bad. Oh wow, it resolved. Didn't that really feel good? And we can sort of get the idea that life is like that. But Psalm 88 tells us that he cried day and night. Real drama, real life suffering, real difficulty doesn't happen over the course of 30 minutes or 45 or two hours. It happens over the course sometimes of days and weeks and months when we cry out to God day and night and we don't know the answer. We cry out for God to heal a loved one 
and they don't seem to be healed. We cry out for God to change someone's heart that has turned away from us and we want them to love us again or to care about us or, or a mom or a dad that we find that are getting a divorce and the children's heart are breaking and they're like, oh God, would you please bring mom and dad back together that they might love each other, but sometimes they go an entire life and it never happens and they never see mom loving dad and dad loving mom. As dark and as sad as this psalm is, the light of the gospel still shines through it in the very first words of the prayer, knowing where to turn to in our time of need, because it says, O Lord, God of my salvation. Everybody say, God is the God of my salvation. Knowing where and who to turn to in our time of need, knowing our Lord and our God, the God of our salvation, is listening to us, is all that we really need to endure anything and when I say endure I'm not talking like I said the 45 minute variety the two hour variety I'm talking about the day and night the day after day of affliction I remember times in my life of great limitation of pain of separation of wondering if there would ever be anything good that would ever come in my life I remember crying and hurting and and praying in those times but have we cried unto him day and night? Do we only do this when it seems all that we really love is jeopardized? When the status quo, the comfortable or seemingly predictable stops and is interrupted in our life? Is this when we go to God? God is preparing us for what always comes in this world below the heavens. The ground beneath our feet is uncertain. It is shifting sand. And when we put our trust in the things and the people of this world, we will too be disappointed again and again. The Bible said, he that leans on the arm of flesh will be disappointed. David cried these words out to God in Psalm 27. I quote them often, but as I read them this week and begin to quote them to myself, to encourage myself, I begin to hear another lesson in Psalm 27 that I did not recall. And really, it's a lesson I don't really want to learn and you may not want to learn it either but it's in the bible so we're going to learn it is that be, is that be all right with you all david cries these words in psalm 27 knowing how quickly things can change how sandy the ground was often beneath his own feet and how the trials that he had made this clear to him psalm 27 asks this question the lord is my light and my salvation whom shall i fear Sometimes I like to say them, and I almost want to stick up my chest with spiritual bravado and say, the Lord is the light in my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? But I, as I read it this week, I began to think, what was it that was making David say this? It was probably real fear. It was probably real dread. It was probably real danger, and he was bolstering himself when, in this time, we're asking himself the rhetorical question because he needed to answer it. Sometimes we need to talk to ourselves, Jeff. Sometimes we need to go, okay, now wait a minute here. What's going on here? Whom shall I fear? And we got to go, well, not the devil, not the world, not all that they had to throw at us, not that if we're going to fear anybody, it's going to be God. What was it that made David ask? These questions, what caused his day and night cries to the Savior in Psalm 27? He tells us in verse 2, When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. He's remembering what happened in the past, 
Why? Because it's happening again. David did not live a life of peace and tranquility and calmness where nothing bad happened. His entire life was one big tumult. He says in verse 3 of Psalm 27, though an army encamp against me. Have you guys ever had an army camp out against you? Could you imagine this? We live in Mount Sterling and all of a sudden uh, 150,000 people roll in with chariots and horses and bows and spears and they have everything in their heart intending on coming to destroy your life. Anybody ever had that happen? I, I don't think so. Though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, even in this I am confident. David boiled over with faith in God when? In the face of his fears. You and I will never face fears like that. It makes me eager to know, though, and face fears like that. I don't think the Amalekites are going to roll in anymore because they're gone. I don't think the Jebusites and the Philistines are going to camp out and stand upon a mountain and defy God. I almost wish they would, and I almost wonder in my heart what would I do if they did. David boiled over with faith in God in the face of fears like this, and you and I, as I said, may never know them, but I want to know fears like this because I want to know faith like that. This is what God offers those who love Him. Their lives were not calm, troubles, troubleless or tame they were tumultuous they were unsettling unsettling is what we need we've settled for less in our own comfort here and if you are unsettled today then thanks be to God there is nothing so marvelous to prod us to fix our gaze on God than times of such as these God has given us a great gift we do not know if our food chain will be disrupted what virus may shut down our lives at a moment's notice? What elected officials may try to force us into doing? Our lives are being wrecked more and more as the days go by. And we are getting more and more unsettled by the minute. And more and more we are learning what God's Word has told us all along. That this world is shifting sand. That loving it is a waste of time that trusting that things are going to go on the way they have is foolishness but putting our trust in god alone is what people of god do in all times amen can i get an amen it is in times like these that people of god go to the rock of their salvation it's in these times that we find that what we really want Verse 4 of Psalm 27, he said one thing. You know, sometimes we've got to boil it down to the one thing we want. Here David was, encamped against, terrorized, worrying, faltering, having, he says, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That's all, all I want. You see, sometimes when things are going good, you know what we do, Christina? We pray for more things. We get a new bike and we say, oh God, I'd like a new motorcycle. We get a new car and we say, you know what I'd like? I'd like a new truck. We get a nice house and we go, oh, if I just had land. And I'm telling you, it's how we live and it's ungodly. We should be thankful for what we have, for godliness with contentment is great gain. One thing, David said, have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the day of trouble, everybody say the day of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle will he hide me. He will set my feet upon the rock. So far, all the troubles that have come to us have not prevented us from gathering together 
in the presence of the Lord and lifting up his name. It hasn't prevented us from being able to preach the word from this pulpit. It hasn't been able to prevent us from lifting our hands and singing praises to the God whose faithfulness echoes through the mountains. Amen. For in the day of trouble, he will hide me. Well, let the day of trouble come because I want to be hidden by God. It kind of makes me want to be in a day of trouble. I should say it kind of makes me excited that we are indeed in a day of trouble. For in the day of trouble, he will hide me. He will put me in the secret place of his tabernacle and set my feet upon the rock that is him. This is where I want my feet before the storm. It's where I want my feet in the storm. And it's where I want my feet after the storm. Because storms are coming. And I say, even so, come, Lord Jesus, day and night let our cries come to the savior david says and now now when now in the midst of his trouble and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies round about me and in his tabernacle i will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy he's saying that although my enemies are coming against me although i should be afraid and although i should be sad what am i going to do i'm going to offer a sacrifice of joy Sometimes joy is a sacrifice, is it not? Sometimes we just feel sad. How many of you felt sad lately? Come on, come on, come on. Man, I bet you too. You ain't even been here with us, Mike. Sad. And so we offer a sacrifice of joy. We walk up and what we should say is, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm so thankful the Bible says that God has given us joy as a gift. Joy that doesn't even come from us. The Bible said that Jesus in the midst of his suffering, as he was on the cross, he says as he hung there, it was the joy that was set before him that made him able to endure the cross. He despised the shame of it as we all do. But he endured it for you and he endured it for me. David cries out in Psalm 27, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious and compassionate to me and answer me. David saw clearly the point of times like this in his life. In verse 8, he says, When you said, Seek my face in prayer and require my presence, my heart said, Your face, Lord, I will seek. When trouble comes, do you find yourself murmuring and complaining? Do you find yourself sad? Do you find yourself asking for all of the trouble to go away? Or do you find yourself going and going, you know what, God has called me to prayer. God has called me to prayer. As the devil was tormenting me this week, my wife put on Why Revival Terries by Leonard Ravenhill to listen to it. And if you are having trouble, I would recommend, honey, could you share that with them? How many of you read Why Revival Terrace by Leonard Ravenhill? Do you know I read that entire book? When I started reading that book, I was about 19 years old. And I never, it's the only book I've ever done. I never stopped reading it. I could not stop. I was at school. And I remember walking around, just walking around going, my God, my God, what am I reading here? What am I reading in these pages You know, sometimes we need to be called to prayer. And sometimes we will not pray because our life is too good, because we think we don't need anything. 
folks, there are people dying and going to hell. And they are living in these houses and they've not heard the gospel. And yet we gather each week and we don't go talk to them. We don't go tell them about the light that can save them. Why don't we do it? Because, well, if God wants to save the heathen, maybe he will. Well, you might be thankful the people that brought the gospel to you didn't feel that way. The people that brought the gospel to you said, you know what? I can't think of anything better than sharing the good news of what God has done in my life with you. I'm telling you, I am praying and I am believing and I am going to work and I'm going to preach and I'm going to talk and I am going to find people who want to hear God's word. I am going to share that with them and I am going to see people's lives changed. I know it. Why? Well, I know if you don't do it, it don't happen. And I do know from personal experience that if you do, it does. David saw clearly the point of times like this when he said, when you said, seek my face, my heart said, my face, I will seek. This is what caused David's cries to come to the Lord day and night. Verse 10 of Psalm 27, Although my father and my mother forsake me, they abandon me, yet the Lord will take me up. You know, sometimes it takes something like that. Sometimes it takes something that so rocks your foundation, so rocks your world, so makes you dizzy, going, what just happened to me? This is a time, a time of trouble, a time of great teaching for all of us. You see, Although my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will do what? He will take me up. He will, it's it, it, the Hebrew here, he will take me up. And he said, he will adopt me. Even though I don't have a mom and a dad or anymore, God will be my dad. Just like the widow was told, hey, you don't have a husband and you don't have any, no one cares for you. No one will take care of you. God said that he will be a husband to the widow. He will be a father to the fatherless. This is a time of trouble in a time of great teaching for all of us. You see, in the time of trouble, we listen better, Brother Jonathan. We pay a little bit more attention to God's word. And that's what David says in Psalm 27, 11. Teach me your way. O Lord, lead me on a level path because, why? Because of mine enemies. Don't give me up to the will of my adversaries. False witnesses have come against me. They breathe out violence. I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living I would have but I will not despair because I have faith in the goodness of God not just in heaven but in the land of the living instead I will cry day and night to a savior who can save us who not only has saved us and will save us but he's going to save others through us guys I'm telling you it's gonna be great verse 14 wait for and confidently expect the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for and confidently expect the Lord. I will tell you this indeed is what God has instructed me to do as your pastor in this difficult time is just to wait. I received that from the Lord very strong in my heart. Just wait. Steady as you go. Just wait and see what God is going to do. I can't wait to see. Uh, when I say I can't wait, I'm going to wait. But, but like I'm eagerly anticipating God. You know, the Bible says if we look for him, if we anticipate him, if we look, where, where is he? 
did God just send him to us? Did I just meet the person that God wants me to meet? Am I, is, is this there? He was in his day of trouble, and although we don't know what it was, it was his to bear. It was not for him to bear alone in one sense, but in, in, the, in the human sense, it was his to bear alone. But folks, we're never alone when we bear things with God. Amen? So what did he do? He took it to God in prayer. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline mine ear to my cry, for my soul is full of trouble. My life draws near to the grave. You see, Heman is dying. It could have been cancer or some affliction, but obviously something that caused him to have to be taken away from the rest of the people of God. He couldn't see his friends anymore. He was alone. He was quarantined off. He was put away in some place. And so not only was he dying, not only was he feeling the heavy, afflicting hand of God, he saw God's sovereignty over him. But what, he was, what was happening is that the separation from the people that he loved was so crushing on him in this time. Free among the dead like a man slain that lies in the grave whom thou rememberst no more, they are cut off from thy hand. Heman has been given up for dead, and he writes as he is suspended in this place of uncertainty, dreading what he does not know in his future as he seemingly bears it without anyone to share it with him, but the one who will soon receive him into heaven's bosom. Until then, though, he suffers on. Verse 6, Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all of thy waves. Do you see how he attributes this to God? Not in a way that is wrongful, but in a way that is true. Knowing that God is sovereign over all things causes Heman, as it did Job, to assign his condition to God's will for his life. Do we remember the words of Job when he looked at his wife and he said, All my life I've received good from the hand of the Lord. Shall I not receive evil also? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He, like all of us, languished in our sins, wishing we could shed these wretched bodies who disappoint us and keep us from loving one another in the ways that we want to most. Verse 8, he said, Thou hast put away my acquaintances from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them, and I am shut up, and I cannot come forth. Can you see how he's quarantined, how he's put away from them, how he's separated from the people that he loves? Certain diseases in Israel were such that God's instructions for them were total isolation from others so that the disease would not spread. Just when he needs the love and the care of others, it seems that he is all alone. But we <clears throat> know today that we are never alone. He never leaves us or forsakes us, but we long for the touch of human flesh. Even this, though, cannot replace the touch of God. Being alone with God would be better than being in the best company, though we didn't even know it. Verse 9 says, My eye mourns by reason of affliction, Lord. I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Will you show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? He, he feels that he's on the verge of dying and he's appealing to God. Lord, if you let me live, I will praise you. Another psalmist said, Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. And this is exactly what Heman is doing. He's feeling that God is killing him. He is slaying him. Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave or thy faithfulness in destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee? 
Is there some reason that you can't hear me, God? Is there something between us that you can't hear me? And sometimes we feel that God is not listening to us, but that is because God is taking us by the hand and he's leading us to a place we just wouldn't want to go, that we wouldn't like to go, but that is part of God's plan for our lives. I've lived enough life to know that God will lead you into places you do not want to go. But he does it because he loves us and it's part of what he's doing through us. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Heman cried, I am afflicted and I am ready to die. <laughs> from my youth, while I suffer the terrors, I am distracted. Isn't this psalm sad? The fierce wrath goes over me. The terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me round about in my sorrow and in difficulty and in some of these recent troubles. It seems like waves come on you where you feel sad and you feel depressed and you feel like, oh no, I don't know. Oh, I don't know if I can go on. This is what he's describing. He's describing this. How many people have felt this who have been through divorce? How many people have felt this who've been through great uncertainty? I remember the many prayers we prayed for two little girls in our congregation. And when those two little girls we prayed, we didn't know what was going to happen with them, did we, Sister Amy? We didn't know what was going to happen. And we're like, oh God, oh God, oh God. And we thought, if what we want could happen, that would be just enough to where I don't need anything else from you, oh God. Lord, just give me that. Just give them to me, Lord. Let me love them. Let us bring them in the church. Let us baptize them. Let us raise them as our children. Did you pray and talk to God? But before the judge ruled and before things changed, you didn't know what was going to happen. In fact, you kind of suspected according to what things do and what could happen, your heart could be broken at any moment and you hovered in uncertainty. Folks, in those times, you know what we do, Ash? We've got to pray. We call on God. God reminds us, you know, you don't have to wait until it's like that. God wants to be with us and commune with us and talk to us, but we're just too busy. We're too distracted. We're too occupied. We're, we're too self-medicating. These things came around me daily like water. They compassed me together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintances into darkness. And the psalm ends there. What do you do with an ending like that? My good brother Christopher Brigno from Florida, he goes, how can you preach Psalm 88? How can you do it, Mark? How can you do it? How can you even read it in your church, Mark? It's too dark. It's too difficult. I can't believe you're going to try to preach Psalm 88. All of these are the darkest fears which we face in this life. You can go through them. Death, disease, sickness, abandonment, separation from friends. These are the ravages that ravage a world that is sin sick and dying all around us. People are suffering through this and suffering through the effects of trauma as a result of it they are emotionally scarred we're living in a world where people are walking around in pain and they're medicating themselves because they cannot deal with the pain all of these darkest fears we face in life but beloved this life is not all of the story it is a small part and death is a necessary passage we must all travel it is a road that no man can take with us but in which we are still never alone because there is one who is walking with us who has already faced death himself and he's conquered death for us. 
then he will not leave us because though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even then we will fear no evil. The psalm ends in sadness and without relief because it could be that Heman even died as he wrote the final verse. Day and night, he brought his cries to the Savior and his night came. But his night was not as dark as he was thinking it was going to be. I'm telling you, I'm not saying that we should try to hasten our death. But all that we carry around and all that we're uncertain about and all that we dread about it, folks, it's just not true. Beloved, do you know that even though he cannot write the final verse with his own hand, we can. We know by faith that one day there will be nothing that shall separate us from those that we love. We'll get to be with Papa. He'll say, you know what? Life was rough, but it was worth it all. He'll say the burdens I carried for those that were grieving the loss of, of children and those whose divorces that, that, that wrecked their lives, those missionary children that felt abandoned by their parents, those that I sat with and those that had found themselves in drug addiction. He'll say, every hour I spent with them was precious because now in heaven I stand face to face with them. I know what God was doing in their lives and it was worth every minute of every day that I gave them. I wish I had given more, honey. That's what he's going to say. And I'll tell you what, the devil wants me to stop loving. He wants me to stop giving. He wants me to say, aren't you done? Aren't you done fighting? Don't you just want it to be over? Don't you just want to quit? And I say, yeah, when God calls me there, that's when I'll go. But until then, I'm going to walk with the hurting and the suffering, and I'm not going to stop. It will be a land of no more partings, no more sadness, no homesickness, no longing for what we can never have. One day we'll walk hand in hand in constant conversation with those who have crossed over to the other side. For Jesus in his death and resurrection conquered all of that once and for all. O oh, death, do you know, most people are afraid to speak to death, but Paul wasn't. Oh, death! Hey! I heard recently that there was a funeral. And everyone there was sad. And everyone there was having such a hard time. And it was very quiet in the building. And the preacher got to the pulpit and he yells out, Oh, death! Some people might be afraid to address death like that. But do you know we can sing it? <laughs> oh, death. We can sing with, uh, we can find ourselves maybe living in the fear of the cold, dreadful hands of death himself. But oh, death, we call out not fearing an answer from this black-robed messenger. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, Brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit corrupt incorruption. 
Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Let me tell you, when that day comes, Heman, who wrote the saddest song, will be singing a hallelujah song. He will be singing from the end of the Psalter, praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord for his goodness. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him upon the cymbals. Praise him upon the loud sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. For corruption must put on incorruption, and mortals shall put on immortality. So when corruption shall have put on incorruption, the mortal shall have done it. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain. You see, the point of the resurrection is not just for us to know that one day we're going to go to heaven, but it's reminding us that we have work to do here on the earth. Paul's sermon, the most incredible sermon about the resurrection listed in the Bible, ends with this declarative. Yes, he was dead. Yes, he rose. Yes, we will too one day. And it ends with this imperative at the very end. It says, therefore, but say therefore. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as we know that our labor is not in vain. I'm calling out to Foundation Church and to the people that are here in this building to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where moth and robber cannot go in and break in and steal, where rust cannot corrupt, where we can go in and the people that are there are people that we help bring there. And I'm believing by God's grace and by the power of his word and the truth of it that we will see people's lives changed. We will see them come to understand the powerful message that it is for by grace that we are saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. And the Bible says what you have been freely given, you should give it to. Amen? That doesn't sound like such a sad psalm after all, does it? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, and until then, let us cry to the Savior night and day, and he will hear us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the truth of it, Lord. Lord, we stand in awe of it, Lord, and we stand in the face of discouraging circumstances and we laugh at them. For Lord, you faced the most discouraging circumstances in the world and in those moments you conquered death itself. What is it that we're going to do, God? Lord, you said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church of the living God, that we would be your hands and feet in the world, that all things would be put under our feet. And if we just understood who we were and understood the power of the message that we have, that it would change our every thought, our every action. And oh God, let it do that in us today. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen.
Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.